Tonight, we're starting this new series, so Galatians, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. Galatians 3, verse 26 through um, 4, chapter 7. I'm sorry, chapter 4, verse 7. So I'm just going to read this and we're going to dive in. Um, It says, this is the Apostle Paul writing, he says, So in Christ Jesus you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed, clothed yourselves with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. What I'm saying is that as long as an heir is underage, he's no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. The heir is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were underage, we were in slavery under the elemental spiritual forces of the world. But when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are His sons, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are His child, God has made you also an heir. So, um, as Eli said, and uh, we read the Lord's Prayer already earlier tonight, for the next couple of weeks, we're going we're gonna to be looking at the topic of prayer and um, sort of thinking about how do we pray, but also what do we pray. And um, it's also, I think, a great thing. Tonight was the first night Hannah started that little prayer meeting. Um, she talked to me about that last week. I'm really excited about that as well. Let me start off with some pretty, um, these are some pretty bold statements about prayer. I don't know who coined these first. These are not in the Bible. But I'm going to say this, that if you're a Christian, prayer is the key to everything that you sort of say or do as a Christian. Prayer is the key to everything in your life with God. And that's maybe sort of a radical statement. But I have some other things here that's just sort of a list about prayer. Um, only through prayer can you, can you know who you really are, like your true identity. Um, it's in prayer that you're able that you're like sort of first able to see um, yourself or who you are, because suddenly when you're in the presence of the one true God, the almighty God in prayer, you're conversing with this God who made everything, suddenly you start to just see yourself for who you really are. There's no pretending, there's no, you know, there's maybe arrogance with our friends, or we all have the person we, we would like to be, and sometimes we even sort of deceive ourselves, and um, we go on, I think, living our lives at times um, like that that person is who we really are, but it's, it, it's really only in prayer that we see the real us. I mean, I, I know that, it, which is maybe why some of us are scared to pray sometimes. It's because we see the real us. But only through prayer, number one, can you know who you really are. Secondly, only through prayer can you change yourself. So St. Augustine, I don't know if you've ever heard of this guy, but St. Augustine said that what really makes you who you are is not so much what you think or even so much what you believe. The primary thing that would tell people who you are is what you love. What do you love? Like if somebody looked at your life and, and saw what you really loved the most, that would be the most telling about who you are. So for example, you may say, you may say, I'm a Christian, I love Jesus, and I live my life according to what the Bible says or how Jesus wants me to live. That's, that's who I am. But what's, what's really most important in your life is, um, is to be in the popular crowd. Or what's really most important to you is to be accepted by a certain group at school or to be liked by a certain guy or girl. 
um, to be cool in the eyes of, of others. Maybe, that's, maybe it's something else for you. But only through prayer do we see, um, or do we really start to change ourselves. Um, so it's what you love. It's really not so much, like I said, um, even what, what, what you do at times, sometimes we're really good at playing the Christian game, and we know all the right answers, and we do the right things. Um, but it's not, like I said, it's not just about what you think or even about how you behave. What do you love the most? Like, even deep down, what are the deepest, darkest things that you love that people maybe don't even know that you love? That is who you really are. But um, in order to change those things, it comes down to what you worship. That stuff all is about what you love is primarily about what you're worshiping. And so, again, we can come here and play Christian on a Wednesday night and sing songs, but maybe we go, really, what I worship most is, um, is being good in my sport or being good in whatever, or my academics. And my goodness, I have to get straight A's, and my parents have expectations for me to get straight A's, and if I don't, um, all of those things are things we love. So only through prayer can you change yourself. Only through prayer can you know God. So we know that there's a huge difference, a huge difference between knowing about God and knowing, and knowing God, right? That anybody in here know an atheist? There are plenty of atheists, Yeah, a lot of you know someone, who know all kinds of stuff about God. But they don't know God, nor do they probably want to know God. Um, but you can, there's a difference there. And so only, you really only come to know God through prayer. Why? Because you're communicating with Him. And you don't really know someone if you don't communicate with them. Um, and then finally, uh, the book of Psalms. In the, the book of Psalms, we have like God's original prayer book. This was probably the prayer book that Jesus himself, I mean, he had many, many of the Psalms memorized, or he would just quote Psalms like, just off the bat, only through prayer can you access God's power and strength. So when you look at the book of Psalms, you see these writers, they're just, they're, they're spouting off all these prayers. But if you look at the book of Psalms, um, they are relentlessly honest. I mean, they are like, they are so honest and they're so much more honest than we tend to be. Most of the Psalm writers, you have David and all these other guys, a lot of times they're being pursued, like people are trying to kill them. Their enemies are coming after them, and so they're asking God. They're just saying, God, give me vengeance on my enemies. Um, God, kill these people. Will you wipe them out? Um, now, that's just not sort of our culture today, so I hope you're not like asking God to kill people in your life. But they're, they're crazy honest in their prayers. And what we see in the book of Psalms is that only through prayer can you access God's strength, God's power. And so you can only know yourself through prayer. You can only change yourself through prayer. You can only really know God through prayer. You can only access his power and strength through prayer. Prayer is the key to so much stuff of the Christian life. I feel like, um, I've thought before, it's almost like our secret, like, like our weapon. That's the weapon we have in our arsenal that nobody else has. That we have this, we can just talk to our maker, to our father at any moment. We have prayer and it's amazing. So um, how do you do it? That's the million-dollar question tonight, right? How do you do it? And we all know, like, we've all sort of prayed. We all have. Um, but still, how do you pray? In the movie Gravity, uh, came out just a couple years ago, Sandra Bullock, George Clooney. Anybody seen it? PG-13. Uh, I think it was up for an Oscar, as some of you have. I can't, like, I can't see any of you. Maybe, Cecil, will you bring the house lights up just, like, a little bit? Um, Sandra Bullock plays an astronaut who's stranded in space. And... Uh, she thinks she's going to die. And at one point in the movie, her character says, I've never prayed. Nobody ever taught me how. Now, that's probably not true. 
Even for, her, even for a fictional character in a movie, if I saw her whole fictional life, my guess is that's probably not true. And why do I say that? Because she's probably heard the Lord's Prayer before. She probably has. Um, and how do you, like, what is the Lord's Prayer? Um, Eli said this earlier. The Lord's Prayer is actually Jesus' answer to the question, how do you pray? So it's in Matthew 6, it's in Luke 11, but at one point, Jesus' disciples come to him and say, Jesus, teach us to pray. These guys have grown up in a Jewish culture, culture. By all means, they have prayed their whole life, and yet they come to Jesus because Jesus knew something about prayer, and they say, teach us to pray, and Jesus gives us the Lord's Prayer. And get this, the Lord's Prayer is probably, if not the set of words that have been recited the most throughout history, at least one of these sets of words, think about that, like, that have been recited the most by people down through the centuries and all through the human race, it's extremely well known. My thought, I was going to say it was the most recited thing. I started thinking about how many, this is off topic, but how many people might, how many school students say the Pledge of Allegiance every day, and I was like, maybe the Pledge of Allegiance gets recited more, because there's a lot of kids in America, but I guess worldwide, the Lord's Prayer might have it. Um, but it's, it's memorized by most people, whether you're a Christian or not. Um, I don't know, maybe when it was up on that screen, maybe some of you in here go, I've never seen that set of words in my whole life. But for most of you, you memorize it from the time you're young. And it's what Jesus said is how to pray. And yet, here's the deal, most of us really don't understand it very well, right? Or maybe I'd say we don't understand it at all. Because in all fairness, the reason most of us don't understand the Lord's Prayer is um, it's really filled with language, isn't it, that none of us use today. It's very, very common in the Bible, right? But most of the stuff in there, we just don't, we don't talk about a kingdom anymore. Forgive us our debts. I mean, we know what sin is, but we don't even talk about sin, let alone we don't talk about them as debts. Um, there's all kinds of language that just doesn't, um, it's not what we use, and so it doesn't make sense to us. Um, so here's the thing. The better we can learn about the background of this prayer I think the more we can tap into God's power for our lives and the power that is in the prayer itself, and the better we can know God. So over the next eight weeks, we're going to sort of dissect the Lord's Prayer. And what we're going to do is we're not going to go to Matthew 6 every week, but each week we're going to take a phrase in the Lord's Prayer and look at some other section of the Bible and, um, and sort of figure out what, what the Bible has to teach us about that topic. Um, so, uh, so forgive us our debts, or tonight we're looking at our Father. Um, but I hope that makes sense, and I hope this is helpful, because basically, if, those, if all those words in the prayer seem irrelevant to us, and again, honestly, for much, many of us, it does. We maybe have it recited. Um, I don't know if any of you grew up Catholic, or if you know people who are Catholic, and there's, I have some Catholic brothers and sisters that I know, and they are like, it's real to them. They have a relationship with Jesus. For many, many people, and I don't mean to just stereotype Catholics, there's a lot of Protestants this way too, it's just religion. It's just this religious thing. We have that, that prayer memorized, and it's worthless. We come to church, we recite it every Sunday at certain churches, not here, and um, it, who cares? You go, those words are irre- irrelevant, so this prayer is just irrelevant to me. So that's what we want to change. So um, tonight, what does it mean when Jesus says, this is how you should pray? Our Father. Our Father in heaven. Um, Jesus says that's how we should start the prayer. It's the basis for all the rest 
of the prayer. And so we're going to, we're supposed to look like, we're supposed to look to God like a father. Again, most of us have heard that before. Even that though, I go, who uses the word father? Hannah, did you call your dad father today? Probably not. If we were in the times, if we were all in the movie Pride and Prejudice, we would go and we would say, father, may I get you a snack, whatever, I don't know. Um, We don't even use the word father today, do we? If we put it in our own language, this prayer would go, um, hey, Dad, which is awesome because Hannah, when we were praying tonight, I loved it. She didn't even know. She started her prayer and just went, hey, Dad, or something like that. And it was, I was like, that's an honest prayer right there, like approaching God like our dad. And maybe that's too irreverent. Um, as we so, like, we'll get to in the passage, Jesus throws out this word, Abba, which sort of means daddy or maybe more like papa. Um, but we approach God and say, our Father. Um, tonight, we're looking at this passage that I just read at the beginning, Galatians 3 and 4. And even that passage, um, pretty hard passage to get a lot of stuff in there that's sort of biblical language and um, hard to make sense of. Here's what we find, though. Um, in this passage, Galatians, in Galatians 3 and 4, um, we find basically like the climax of the whole Bible in this passage. Um, the, I think, the central um, story, there's a wonderful two verses in this passage that is, is the um, main reason Jesus came to earth, the main purpose he was here. Verse 5 says this, that we might, he came to redeem those under the law, that we might receive adoption as sons and daughters of God. So we come to God and say, our Father but what we're saying is um, we're talking about adoption, being adopted into God's family. Um, so I'm going to divide this, hopefully, in the time we have left, into, uh, into three sections about adoption. So the gift of adoption, just sort of what adoption is, um, the meaning of adoption, and the reason we can be adopted. All right? And then if we have time, I want to give you some thoughts on how to apply this to prayer. So the gift of adoption. First of all, um, adoption in the family of God, it's it's a gift, right? Anybody in here, and don't mean to put you on the spot, anybody in here adopted? Anybody? Maybe you're afraid. I see one hand. Nice. A few? Okay, there's like three or four. Nice. Um, what is adoption? Adoption means you are not, right, a particular child's, a, a particular person's child by blood. You were, in essence, sort of chosen by those parents to be a part of the family. Um, So look with me at verse 26. You still have your Bibles open. Verse 26, chapter 3, Galatians. Jesus, right off the bat, says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God. He says, through faith. Um, First of all, this is not saying, now get this, this is not saying that everyone, this is, sorry, correct my, this is saying that not everyone in the whole world is a child of God. You go, well, that's sort of narrow-minded. Doesn't this say everyone? So in Christ, you are all children of God through faith. Here's what I want to get at. Paul is addressing Christians here. He says you are all children of God, but you're, you're children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. So in one sense, are we, are we all God's, like, God's children and God's our Father, the entire world? In one sense, yes. Um, Take, like, who's Henry Ford, right? You might say Henry Ford is the father of the automobile. That's the kind of language you might use. You might go to Thomas Edison and say, Thomas Edison is the father of the light bulb. In one sense, 
Um, God forms us, he creates us, he knows us, he loves everybody. And the Bible even says that in certain places. In Acts 17, Paul says, uh, he's quote, he says, we're all God's offspring, meaning everybody. Um, but that's not what Paul's talking about here. This passage makes very clear that it's really only those who are in Christ Jesus that are adopted into the family of God. Again, that shouldn't be narrow, that just means um, it's a it's a choice. Like, we're adopted into his family, um, but you are all children of God through faith. And not everybody has faith, has trust in Jesus Christ. Um, so it's a gift. It's not automatic. Um, some people don't want to receive the gift of God. You all know people who don't, and we pray that they would. Um, but therefore, not everyone is in God's, you know, is a child of God in that sense. Um, we're adopted into his family. But still, when you think about um, just, again, if you know someone who's adopted or the people who are in this room, um, you have all the rights of that family's, like, what they own, what they have. I'm, I'm, get ahead, I'm getting ahead of myself. But, um, so let's look at the meaning. So that's sort of the gift. It's an incredible gift, um, but Paul's only addressing Christians here. But he even, I mean, I guess I would say, he's trying to say we're all one in Christ. We're all believers um, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free. Um, it's not even male and female. Um, in the Bible times, only sons were adopted. Only sons. It never happened for women. Was that wrong? Yeah, I mean, I don't know why it was that way back then. But if your children died and you had an inheritance and you were wealthy, you would only adopt, adopt sons. It's funny, in this sort of newer translation, in verse 26 it be, the pronoun is switched from son to children. It says we're all children of God. But Paul has the audacity to sort of say, even women, in the, like back then you could never be adopted, but in God's family, you can be. Men and women, Jew or Gentile. Um, Paul was writing this to a very, very Jewish culture. They were all Jews. The fact that Gentiles could be welcomed into the family of God when he was writing this was radical and would tick some people off. And they would go, like, those people are dirty and unclean, but um, man, through faith we can all be adopted. But so what's the meaning of adoption? Three things here. To be adopted both back then in Bible times and today, at least now spiritually speaking, means you get this. You get an inheritance. Secondly, you get access. You get unconditional access to the parent's love and protection. And then thirdly, you get a new name or a new identity. Um, so I'm going to look real quick at all three of these. First of all, you get an inheritance. If you're adopted by someone, I started to go down this route, this road. Um, even if you even if you aren't the blood son or the blood daughter, if you're adopted by somebody, suddenly when those parents die, whether they were wealthy or not, you get what they had. You inherit what they had, and maybe that's divided up between other kids too. But you will inherit what they owned. So get this. Imagine you were adopted by Warren Buffett. And, um, and maybe you go, ugh, he's just old. That would be weird, and I don't want Warren Buffett to be my dad. But he's also like the richest man in the world, right? Or second, or maybe he's behind Bill Gates. I always go to Warren Buffett when it comes to rich people because he lives in Omaha, and that's crazy. And he's lived in this little modest house, house his whole life. So what if you lost your parents, and um, Warren was feeling generous, and what if you were adopted by him, and you got a piece of the pie? So I was like, this is, I photoshop. Well, if my wife and I died and Warren Buffett adopted my children, 
man, they would be blessed children. There's the more, like, up close. You think he's his grandpa, or he's the grandpa, but no, no, he adopted my kids because Leslie, I don't know who that is with him, like Warren Buffett's wife. I had to crop out Leslie somehow, the picture. So that's Warren with his, mis- with his wife, his, his lady, friend. His, I, I think he's married. But he adopts my kids. Do you know what my kids would get? I mean, seriously, what if you were adopted by Warren Buffett? Do you realize what that would mean for you? The guy is worth like billions of dollars. And part of that would be yours. Part of that would be yours. Look at verse 7, chapter 4, verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you also an heir. Um, Because you know what? Warren Buffett has nothing on God. Has nothing on God our creator. Um, Some of us can only get our heads around a rich older guy living in Omaha who has billions. When we go, yeah, God's children, wah, wah, I've heard that before. But it's just not real to us. But are you kidding me? If my kids were adopted by Warren Buffett and they were like billionaires, um, think about what it means that we will inherit, that we are heirs of God's glory, of God's realm, of heaven, that we get all of that. I mean, will you dream about that for a second? Like, try to think about what that means. Our inheritance is, is God's glory is God's radiance. Um, You have no idea what that will be like. Your mind cannot even fathom um, the beauty, the majesty, how happy you will be when you get there. I mean, we all sort of think maybe we kind of know what heaven is going to be like. We have no idea what our inheritance will be like. If we get even a glimpse of what like having a lot of money would be like because we were adopted by some wealthy guy, the stuff we could buy, um, you have no idea what that perfection will be like, how beautiful you will be, um, how there will just be no more pain or mourning. They will, you will never feel depressed or sad or alone. And it's automatic. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. You can't go to God and say, you owe me. But if you're in Jesus Christ, it's just yours. It's yours. Um, if you are really an heir of God, um, why are we so fearful about things? I mean, even right now today, if you call yourself a Christian, you consider yourself a Christian, why are you so worried and fearful about things at school? Or a certain somebody at school? Or why do you get so depressed when things don't go your way? Or why do you freak out and literally you flip out at home because things don't go your way, because mom says, like, who cares? Who cares about some of the trivial things? And I remember high school. And I know that all those little things matter to you when you're a sophomore girl and you just feel, I don't know, you feel fat or you feel ugly or guys, you're, you don't, you're just not playing on the basketball team. You thought you were awesome and you, the coach never puts you in or whatever it is that gets you guys. Um, I remember certain people I just wanted to avoid that I would like just get in a funk if that guy was like around me in the lunchroom or whatever. Um, but why does that stuff, why is it so hard to get around that stuff because it's like this. If Warren Buffett was on vacation in Europe, and I don't know, he could get pickpocketed anywhere, but I've heard that pickpockets are common in Europe. So if Warren Buffett is in Europe and he gets pickpocketed, lose a couple, loses a couple Benjamins, right? Maybe because his wallet's stolen. He's Warren Buffett, right? Who cares? That's what it's like for us, you guys. 
if we got picked, like if we lost whatever, somebody makes a jab at us at school, just makes some comment, we're heirs of God Almighty, our Creator. What do we, like who cares? It's like being pickpocketed if you're Warren Buffett. So that's first of all, you get an inheritance. Now I need to rush through maybe these, you get access. Adoption means you get a love relationship with the God of the universe, that you have unconditional access to God. So look with me at verse 6. Verse 6, chapter 4, because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out Abba, Father. So again, you've maybe heard it said before that that word Abba is sort of like daddy, but apparently it was sort of like a, a pet name that you'd, when you were kids you would call your parents this, but you'd still call them that when you were older, when you were grown. I don't really call my dad daddy or my mom mommy anymore, but it may be more like in the South, if you said like mama and papa, you still call your dad papa. Um, we have access. See, you may have a great boss or a great teacher or um, your community group leader here at Oasis, and they, they genuinely care about you. Maybe they're sort of a mentor to you, or you have a coach at school, and they, um, they've sort of taken an interest in you in different ways, but, um, but they're not a parent to you. They're not your guardian. And um, You know, when you're adopted by someone or when you look at your parents, it's their job to protect you. They are responsible for you. They have a legal responsibility to be your parent or to be your guardian. Um, Your boss, your coach, you start like showing up um, super late for work or late for class or late for practice, a boss might just say, hey, you're done. You know, I care about you and I was sort of working with you, but you're fired. I'm sorry, you never come to work on time. Um... But a parent would never do that, right? A parent, a good parent, a real parent, would never cut off access to you. Um, families like that stick together. God is legally and personally and unconditionally committed to you forever. Legally, personally, and unconditionally. There is nothing you can do to break access because he's your father. So that's the second thing. And then you get a new name. You get a new identity. Um, Verses 6 and 7, it says, Because you are his sons, God sent the spirit of his son into our our hearts, so you are no longer a slave but God's child. So again, it's a whole new identity. That In our society today, um, how do we get our identity? We mainly get our identity around how we perform, right? In almost everything you do, you have to perform well. You want to be in the band at Oasis. You know what? you have to perform well. If you want to graduate from high school, you have to perform well. Um, if you want to keep your job, if you want to go to college, if you want to do almost anything, right, in our society today, if you want to get ahead, if you want to excel, um, you have to perform. If you don't excel, people look at you and go, what are you good for? And in fact, that's how we start to see ourselves, right? Some of us, we tried sports in middle school, we tried show choir, we tried to sing, we tried everything, and um, we're right now, we're a sophomore or we're a junior, and we sort of go, I don't know who I am because I don't excel at anything. And um, that's totally a lie, but um, we start to go, I'm not athletic, I'm, and what am I good for? Does God, like, seriously, because that's what our society throws at us. Um, what if our identity could no longer be based on our performance, but what if our identity was forever secured as a child of God and locked into God's family. This goes along with the other thing. 
Um, it says in this passage, it says, for all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Well, what does that mean? That's how you're identified. Baptism doesn't save you. It doesn't save you, but it identifies you publicly. It's a symbol of your conversion. It's a symbol that you are in Christ. Um, so being adopted, addressing God as Father, means you no longer have to be enslaved by how you perform. That's what true freedom can be like. And again, we will always have to perform, but God doesn't make us perform. We can stink at everything. And God goes, I don't care. You are mine. You are my child. And so those are the three things. So that's the meaning of adoption. Finally, what's the reason we can be adopted? How can we receive this adoption? See, this is really the most important question. All those other things, that's, that's great, but um, how is this possible? How do we receive this adoption? We, I mean, remember, first of all, it's a gift. You don't earn it. You don't say, God, you owe me. I've been a pretty good, I've been a pretty good guy. I've been a pretty good girl. But how do we do that? Verses 4 and 5, if you still have a Bible open, look at verses 4 and 5. Maybe, I don't know if they're on the screens or not. This is a wonderful, a wonderful summary of how we do it. It's a wonderful, wonderful summary of, just, of the good news, of the gospel of Christianity. And it says this, When the time, when the set time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, so that we might receive adoption to sonship. Um, he has two under the laws there. So he sent his son, born of a woman, so Jesus came as a human being, born under the law. To, what is this under the law stuff? Here's the thing. So you and I, we owe God, right? You know that. We owe God. He made us. He's our creator. And so in a sense, we're under his rule. We're under his kingship. We're under his law, if you will. And we should be living for him, but we're not, Right? We've rebelled against him. We actually can't make good on our obligation. But Jesus comes on the scene, being a human being, again, born of a woman, and he is born under the law, but he fulfills the obligation that we owe. He comes under the law, and he lives the life that you and I should have lived. To um, redeem here, it says, at the end of his life, um, Jesus comes and he redeems us. So what is what does redeem mean? The, the actual like, Greek word here, when it was used most commonly in the Bible times, it had a very specific definition that meant to pay the price that secures a slave's freedom. To pay the price to secure a slave's freedom. So how did Jesus pay that price, right? On the cross. On the cross, Jesus lost his prayer. He lost a prayer. Did you, have you thought of that before? Jesus had a prayer turned down. You ever feel like you pray to God and he like never answers your prayers? Jesus had a prayer turned down. Always, 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 whenever Jesus talked to God in the Bible, except once, always, always, he would, talk to God, he would address God by saying, Father, Father. He always, um, he, he, he did it like he says to do it in the Lord's Prayer. He always called him Father. He didn't say Lord Almighty. He didn't say, hey, you. Um, at times he did call him Abba. He addressed him as like Daddy. But over and over again he said Father. He shows that he has this intimacy. He had this confidence with his Father. And Jesus' prayer life is always marked by this. One time, right? Maybe you know where this is. One time and only one time does Jesus go to his, go to his Father and not address him as Father. 
and it's on the cross, right? He says, my God, my God, why, why hast thou forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? He's still loving God. He says, my God, you know. You're my God. He's still my God. He was still loving God. He was still obeying God. But he doesn't say Father. You know why? Because in that moment, the Father was not being a guardian. The Father is not protecting him in that moment. The Father is not showing him love. The Father is not there for him. The Father is doing what fathers are not allowed to do. The Father was abandoning Jesus Christ. Why? Like, why would he do that? Because Jesus got what we deserved. Jesus got what my sin deserves and what your sin deserves. Jesus got cast out of the family of God so that you and I could be brought into it. So that we could be adopted. Not only did Jesus live the life that we should have lived, but he died the death that you and I deserve to die. He died our death for us because of our sinfulness against a good and a holy God. Jesus lost the sonship that he deserved so that we could have the sonship that we don't deserve. He was cast out. He paid the ultimate price so that we could be brought in. And suddenly, when we think about that, your heart just melts a little bit and you go, wow, that's, like, that's really true, isn't it? And it is. So suddenly you're not just obeying God because you have to, because you're supposed to. Um, that's totally what we do all the time, right? And that's not freedom. And again, it's good to know you're supposed to obey God and to do, to do the right thing just because you know you should. But freedom comes when the thing that you want to do or the thing that you delight to do is, is what you want to do. The thing that you're supposed to do is the thing that you want to do. And it's the way you're created to do things anyway. God offers us a spot in his family where we can call him Father. And I hope you know, how do you pray then? Real quick, you, you pray with humility, that you do not go to God and say, God, I, you owe me, because I lived a pretty good life, and I've been pretty good, and I've been keeping my act together, and so you owe me, God. Do you know why God can't answer that prayer for you? It wouldn't be safe for him to answer that prayer. You know why? Because if you say that to God, and he answered that prayer, he would just push you along down the path away from him that you're already going on. Because when you say that to God, when you say, God, you know what, I've been living pretty good. I've been praying. I've been keeping my act together. I've been going to church a lot. So, um, so you need to do this for me now. Or how dare you give whatever, present this bad circumstance in my life. We don't want God. We just want God's blessings. So we're not approaching him with humility. So you've got, you go to prayer in humility. You go to God with total confidence knowing that he hears us, knowing that the only reason we can go to God and address him as our father is because Jesus went through all that he did for us. So you pray with humility, with confidence, and finally we can pray with intimacy. That talks about in this passage that the Spirit actually testifies with our spirit. That the, you know what the Holy Spirit's job is in your life? It's to give you an experience with God, like to experience God's love. And that sometimes for most of us happens very, very little which means, one, we need to tap into the, just the Holy Spirit more. We need to be more in tune with the Holy Spirit. But two, I think most of us, we radically underestimate what, what prayer could do in our lives. We don't pray radical enough prayers. We don't pray specific enough prayers. But my goodness, I hope every time you look at the Lord's Prayer, you guys, when we see that term, our Father, 
we realize that came with a price, that came with a cost. And the only reason we can do that is because Jesus went through all that we did. So let's pray. God, tonight we finally see for some of us what it cost you, what it cost us, what it costs us to be able to come to you and say, Our Father, that Jesus was cast out of the family so that we could be brought in, that he took hell for us, that he took our death penalty for us, that you, God, you are our perfect substitute. And so, God, when you look at us, you always hear our prayers. And you always feel our emotions because, God, when you look at us, you do not see our sin anymore. You see the perfection of Christ. And so, God, we're in. If we're Christians, we're in. We know you. We're adopted into your family. And, God, it is a trillion times greater than being adopted by Warren Buffett. So, God, make that true to our hearts. God, I pray that the Spirit, your Holy Spirit, would testify with the spirits inside each of us, our own spirits, God, that we are your children. And God, that we would experience that on a much greater level. God, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for being a perfect father to us. Amen.